2: who I believed myself to be. I am a being of great power, placed among mortals to save them from the forces of war and show them the greatness of love.
0: We got the wrong flavor of Pop-Tarts. What? Pop-Tarts. These are unfrosted blueberry. I like the frosted blueberry, with a little flex on the frosting.
2: Okay, I mean, I, I guess I, I could go back to the store.
3: Who were you talking to when I came in?
2: It was a soliloquy about my great powers. Whatever. Okay, where was I? Okay. I want to save the world. This beautiful place. But the closer you get, the more you see the great darkness within. I have learned this the hard way long ago. And still, each day, I have hope that... Did you
1: wash my jeans? The ones I was wearing Monday?
2: I don't know. I mean, I I did some laundry this week, but I, I guess I didn't... Keep track of specific pants.
1: I want to wear my cowboy shirt today, and these are the jeans that go with it.
2: Okay, go check the laundry room. Where
1: is that?
2: You live here! How can you not know where the laundry room is? I just realized that I am possibly the greatest warrior who ever lived, one of the Olympians of ancient Greece. I can't be running around dealing with your crap! One of our philosophers said, trying to do it all and expecting that it all can be done exactly right is a recipe for disappointment. Perfection is the enemy.
1: Was that Socrates or Aristotle?
2: Actually, it was Cheryl Sandberg in that Lean In book. But that doesn't make it any less true. Now get out. I have to go save the world from war. The rest of you can listen to this show. And now he's wearing the glowing underpants of Poseidon, Colin McEnroe.
4: Yeah, you can't see him, <laughs> but I am wearing them. And they give me a lot of confidence, too. Um, all right, so we have a lot of people here in the studio today. Uh, I'm very excited about that, although I'm, I have to say... Well, first of all, I should say that uh, in the studio, we invited all of the women who appear on the nose to be here all at once to talk about Wonder Woman, as is uh, Meet and Right. I'm already in trouble with at least least one listener because I, I just got an email saying that the promo says that we have all these women here. So there should be some really good arguments, and she feels that that's microaggression, Um, and that I'm hostile towards women. So I'm really sorry about that. Um, So uh, let me introduce some of these women I'm hostile towards. Uh, We'll start with Rebecca Castellani, a scholar of modern literature and one of the leading uh, entertainment impresarios in the district known as Collinsville. Uh, And uh, Teresa Kramer is a writer and editor of eContent Magazine, founding editor of The Cut. I don't have to explain what The Cut is, or at least I don't have the energy. Uh, (laughs) Elizabeth Kiefer is a professor of English at Tungstus Community College. Uh, They're all sitting at the mics right now and then sort of rushing into the breach when necessary will be Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, dancer, founder, director, choreographer, kinetic dance, Kate Russian, teaching artist for the Connecticut Office of the Arts and a Bushcart Prize, nominated poet, Work can be found in the women's review of books and the Cape Cod Poetry Review, and Tracy Wu Fastenberg is a director of development at Covenant Preparatory School. And also, have you like erased the cut from your official biography? Or Like, <laughs> like how do you, yeah, she's like... I
3: mean, we've both just slacked off so badly that it's hard to call us anything at this point. Right, yeah.
4: oh,
0: okay. <laughs> Well,
4: <laughs> the cut is important to me anyway. It's uh, a lot of Wonder Women in one room. Wo- it woman. is a lot of Wonder Women yeah. in one room. And we did all That's go. It's hard to say. You know, <laughs> we did all a go. Wonder s- Women
0: in one room.
5: <laughs> <laughs> one room. <womb. laughs> one room. <womb. laughs>
4: all right. Weird. So uh, we did all go see the movie Wonder Woman. Uh, all, uh, I think nobody went. Did anybody go with anybody else? Do Well, Do we all go solo? Yeah.
5: No, oh, not with any of these. No, no, we yeah, didn't. No.
4: All of us on our own went to see Wonder Woman. Uh, and so, let's, uh, before we even get into the conversation, we'll just uh, play a little bit of the movie for you. It stars Gal Gadot. I, I looked it up. That's how you say it Gal Gadot um, as Wonder Woman. Uh, Chris Pine is, uh, he's like me. He's this guy who stumbles into the midst of these very exciting women. <laughs> Uh, I'm living a Chris Pine moment right now. Uh, but he plays uh, an American spy uh, who who stumbles into this world, this sapphic uh, island where uh, these uh, women who are sort of stepping right out of Greek mythology, these Amazons are. Anyway, uh, he pairs up with uh, Diana, otherwise known as Wonder Woman, although Wonder Woman is never – those that name is never said in this movie. Uh, and you're going to hear a little conversation between uh, the two of them, what you need to know as you hear this clip is that uh, one of the things that Diana has at her disposal is uh, a lasso of Hestia, Hestia, Hestia and, and when that lasso wraps itself around you, you kind of have to tell the truth. So at a certain point, you'll hear, which is very useful in dealing with men, uh, and so you'll hear the lasso wrap around Chris Pine.
5: Please slow
4: down, Diana. That's
5: your leader? How could he say that, believe that? And, and you, Shh. with your duty to simply give them a book, no. you didn't stand your ground, you're, you didn't fight. Because there was no chance of changing his mind. Well. This is Ares, making... and he's just not going to listen. allow a negotiation or a surrender. No, the millions of people you, you talked about, they will die. We are My, going this... anyway. You mean you were lying? I'm a spy, that's what I do. How do I know you're not lying to me right now?
6: I am taking you to the front.
7: We are probably going to die. This is a terrible idea. <laughs> we're
4: going to need reinforcements. All right. And the reinforcements come, but that's a whole other story. Um, so uh, we're going to begin uh, with – I have to sort of look around the table and see <laughs> again who's here uh, with uh, Rebecca and uh, Elizabeth and Teresa. So um, – Elizabeth, one of the arguments that's been made many times is that this kind of superhero franchise movie has become one of the defining parts of our culture right now uh, and that there really hasn't been uh, an opportunity uh, or or a really significant opportunity for a woman to quote-unquote carry a movie like this and that that women kind of need that affirmation. I don't know. How does that – as a former staff feminist on my old uh, AM show, how does that uh, work for you?
7: Well, we've been going back and forth by email, and I Wonder Woman is not a hero for me. And Despite the I, fact I, that you are dressed as Wonder I, Woman. I am too. dressed as Wonder Woman. I'm the only one dressed <laughs> 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 But as I said in the emails, I, I would uh, pick a different hero for my daughter if I had a daughter. I think that my, my problem throughout this movie is that she does carry it well in terms of being a real kick-butt babe, but uh, she is supposed to be a peacenik, and she cares about animals and there's a scene where uh, horses are being whipped and she doesn't understand why that's happening and somebody else is injured and she's very concerned. But she must murder in this movie thousands of people. I, I don't know what the body count is. I'd love to know what it is hypothetically. But, so I found that I, I just found it that it wasn't a hero that, that resonated with me.
4: Well, I mean, on the other hand, Rebecca, we do know anecdotally that in these scenes of violence where uh, Wonder Woman is, I mean, these are sort of bad guys, you know, and they're, I don't know, a lot of them are probably just German soldiers who by dint of the war happening, happened to be on the wrong side of the front, but uh, but some of them are definitely bad guys. But we, didn't, we know anecdotally that audiences of women are and sometimes weeping just seeing Wonder Woman charge through these incredibly violent situations and put things to right. I don't know. How do you react to that? First of all, did you weep?
1: Um, gosh, I don't want to confess to that right, on the none air. None of my business. Yes, I did actually get teary towards the end, not during any of the battle scenes, um, because it sort of started to sink in how powerful it is to see a woman leading a movie like this. Um, I was not so offended by the body count simply because I've watched a lot of these Marvel DC movies and it seems to be across the board. The only two that are kind of concerned about the body count are Batman and Superman and that tends to just make their movie really boring. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, I enjoyed seeing a female do the traditional male work of going into the fray and, you know, not pausing in the way of her mission. Um, I found it powerful. I found the the action sequences very thrilling when they could have, you know, been quite boring and yeah i i've had no problem with it i think that you know we we we're so accustomed to these marvel movies where the body count is through the roof and you know it's fiction so you kind of have to suspend that part of it and take it for what it is which is a woman occupying a traditionally male kept space in this movie
4: all right now for the skunk at the garden party
3: (laughs) 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 i wouldn't go that
4: far
7: Wow
3: I mean I I, I I suppose what you'd like me to say is how no, much not, I didn't really like this movie very I'm
4: already much. in trouble for microaggression yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask anybody to say anything
3: no, so um, all right so I, I part of the problem is that I'm just not a superhero movie person and I I've said probably to Tracy that I kind of just wish I had more of a background so I could judge this against other superhero movies because mm-hmm. I could be like, oh well this one at least is better than this one. Um <laughs> but but the fact is I would never have chosen to go see this movie on my own. I'm here because I'm here for, I went for the nose under, under and, duress, or like I would have fallen asleep while my boyfriend insisted we watched it. You know like I, I never would have watched this by myself. So I'm not the best judge. Um I thought there was some good comic relief in it. I you know Rebecca brought up in our emails and I tended to agree with her that Wonder Woman came off as a little stupid at points like she just couldn't get the outside world or understand that things were different than where she came from. And
4: um, but and that's a, little, a little bit of that is, I, I said in one of the emails, it's Madison in Splash, right? It's just like, she's from a different place. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, and she's, I mean, we can think of other examples too. Thor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thor comes Thor. to our
1: world and acts kind of dumb, drinks a cup of coffee, is confused by it. She I she, have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. she's
3: absolutely <laughs> <definitely, well, laughs> She's also
7: new she to
4: her powers, too.
7: <laughs> she's brand new to her. She's just learning who she is and what she's capable of. So I think she's supposed to be naive. Which was another part of my problem with this
3: movie because it it's sort of predicated on this fact that she hasn't been told who she is and she's not going to find out till the end. And and her so-called mother tries to keep her from ever training the way all the other Amazons train. As the, It was like, no, you just have to sit there and not do anything while everyone around you trains. And it was absurd to me. I was like, this makes no sense. Thank God for Robin Wright or whatever her name is in the movie. Right. We, we <laughs>
4: yeah. might need to do a little bit of explaining about that. But mm-hmm. yes, they wouldn't let poor Diana play in any of the Amazon games. <laughs> um, so, yes, she's uh, from this island that's called Themis Claridus or whatever it's called. <laughs> <Themyscira>. uh, <laughs> and, and I'm clearly the resident <laughs> nerd here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, that when you first meet her uh, – and we're going to have to do a line change pretty soon so we can get the other uh, three of these uh, experts into this conversation – but um, Uh, When we first meet them, Diana is a little girl and she is very much in the care of two people. Uh, One of them is her mother, Hippolyta, uh, who is played by the fabulous Connie Nielsen. Uh, And uh, Robin Wright plays Hippolyta's sister, Diana's aunt, who is the greatest warrior of her time. And I don't know. One thing I thought about this was I sort of— like, they're all, like, gone after 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but I was really kind of enjoying this whole place, and I really like those two aspects. And they're, they're
7: all about war, despite yeah. not liking war. I mean, I kept finding that an irony, that they were just training to kill and maim and hurt other people. Using their swords and and shooting three arrows at once that hit three different guys right in the chest and
1: killed them.
4: That's freaking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that
1: was kind of explained. They did say that that's the Amazons. They were created by Mm -hmm. Zeus to keep you know the man who has been infiltrated by Ares' war pensions Mm -hmm. in check. So that's you know it is sort of set up. It's a little oblique. I think it could have been clearer. And I wish there had been more time spent with them because I think Robin Wright can do no wrong. And there was something Mm -hmm. delicious about watching season five of House of Cards and then seeing this movie and just. Like Robin Wright is yeah. everything, but you know, it was. I, I enjoyed it. I thought those fight scenes in the beginning were fantastic. And,
4: and then, by the way, go watch Boss and find out why I'm in love with Connie Nielsen. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, so but I, you know, Teresa, to me, this is if I have a problem with this movie, I just want to say that first of all, it's two hours and 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. which could be a problem, except that for me, it kind of flew by. I was, you know, I didn't really feel like I'm in a really long movie, uh, but um, it's kind of that they didn't pick a thing, it's kind yeah. of like they're trying to do.
3: The exposition in this movie was sort of painful for me, despite the sort of Amazon island scenes being kind of cool. Like, I mean, you don't see her in her outfit till what, maybe the last half hour, 45 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, she's just kind of trotting along. And and I was sort of like, wait, so who is her enemy for a while? I don't really get is she supposed to go fight just. Germans, that's not interesting for a superhero to do. I, it was very confusing for a while.
4: All right. Well, we might have to take this slightly confused panel and ask them to uh, go take these <laughs> other so, And we're going to bring up a, uh, uh, an equally confused panel. Uh, while that's happening, I will read a tweet. Red Menace is on the uh, Twitter saying, I loved it. My only quibble, do Amazon warriors really need three-inch wedge heels? Um, I was thinking the same thing about Ariana Grande in the One Love Manchester concert, but except they were like seven-inch shields. But um, that's a whole separate issue. All right, so uh, now... Uh, that was really good. You guys did that pretty smoothly, I think. Uh, so uh, now, sitting at the same microphones, are uh, Carolyn Payne, Kate Russian, Tracy Woof-Astenberg. Um, so I, I think there's sort of two questions that we were batting around here with the first panel, and we can sort of bat them around maybe a little bit more uh, here. There's like one question is... Is this a good movie? And then the other question is, is this a necessary movie, right? You know, do, do young girls need this kind of a movie? It's like that, we sort of talked a little bit about that. You know, pulling that out. I don't know. Tracy Woofastenberg, I know you have a busy schedule. You, have, uh, you are a mom, uh, hard to get to the movies. Uh, was this worth the trip out to the multiplex for you? Well, Setting aside whatever rewards the nose delivers to you or, or doesn't. <laughs>
6: Like Teresa, um, I'm sort of a blank canvas when it comes to to this genre. I think I've watched the Batman movies and that might be it. Um, I would not have chosen this movie even after seeing it. (laughs) (laughs) That's
4: an interesting blurb.
6: (laughs) You know, like it's not one of those ones I walked out and was like, I'm really glad that I watched that. Sort of like I'm really glad I tried on that dress. It looks great on, you know, terrible on the hanger. But um, it just it didn't fully do it for me. I think partway through I texted Teresa and was like, oh, you should have told me I was going to tear up because the only thing that got me emotional were some of those mother daughter things because I have a three year old daughter probably. And I'm going on about three hours of sleep. Um, But, you know, other than that, it just sort of seemed to skim the surface of everything and just didn't really engage me in the way that I wanted it to. Um, as far as whether or not it's necessary in, in this day and age, I'm not sure. Not not for my daughter, not for me. Um, I think that when you look at a generation um, where Wonder Woman was the only female superhero for them, yes, it's sort of a vindication to see her get her own film in this way. Um, but I think nowadays there are other more... More of a variety of, of superheroes for for young girls and women um, that may not need superheroes to be heroes, right. or superhero um, powers. I want to
4: come back to that too because I think it's an important point. But so, Kate, we know that Wonder Woman was among other things uh, developed. Uh, well, first of all, if any pe- people who heard the Jill Lepore um, interview on Fresh Air know that uh, Wonder Woman has intellectually and as intellectual property, kind of a complicated backstory. Let's set that aside for a second. We know that Wonder Woman was also deployed almost initially as kind of a morale builder and a symbol during the era of World War II. This movie is set in World War I, which is also kind of interesting because uh, this kind of franchise doesn't get plopped into World War I all that often. And, and I don't know. I, I actually – I kind of liked that. I, I kind of liked the fact that it was – I mean I, it, it's not really plausibly plopped <laughs> into World War I. <laughs> but – I liked seeing them at least try that out. How did that work for you?
0: Yeah, that did work for me. You know, I, I grew up on all the uh, war movies, World War II movies, and the uh, World War II comedy TV shows. So it was refreshing to me that uh, this was set in World War One. I. I thought that one interesting part of the movie is that I I think that it did communicate the horror – of trench warfare and why that war was called the war to end all wars. Uh, I would have liked to have seen um, um, more depth, a less clunky narrative. uh, And I go back to the question, what's the purpose of this film? The purpose of this film is to earn a whole lot of money. They spend a whole lot of money to generate a whole lot of money. It's a Hollywood cartoon based on a cartoon within a cartoon. And so then my question is can that ever create a strong, unambiguous feminist hero for us and our kids? And I'm not sure that's possible. Trevor
4: Burrus Well, I think that's a great question. And Carolyn, one of the things that they're wrestling with here is – I mean nobody ever knows what to do with Wonder Woman because in fact for most of human history, the human history that actually involves comic books at all, you know, most comic book nerds are boys. Boys read comic books. You know, it's not that girls never read comic books. I'll get in trouble for saying that too. But per, the preponderance of people who really like comic books are boys. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that most of the heroes are boys. But it, the fact that the heroes are boys is also because that's what the audience is. And Wonder Woman, for as long as she's been around, is kind of they, – they haven't known what to do with her. Uh, and, and what they've done with her a lot is – to put it euphemistically, kind of turn her into kind of TNA wrapped in the American flag, right? There's this, She's sort of like really built and she's red, white, and blue. Uh, and this this thing, this movie at least says, well, no, not that anyway. She's just not going to be this. I mean I think it doesn't really exploit her sexually, which might be the first time that's ever happened. But I don't know. You might disagree.
5: I felt like it was – I I mean that outfit that's that's not you know she's not covered up she's not wearing a baggy sweatshirt <laughs> and sweatpants or anything she's so.
4: she's sort of in a bustier of space age materials
5: yeah, I guess.
4: <laughs> I clearly thought about this more than you did. Yeah.
5: Well, now we know what you're what you're thinking about, but um I, I don't know. I I was really not into this movie. I oh. <laughs> Shocker. I like Teresa. I'm not a superhero kind of uh I'm not a superhero movie goer. Um I I I the only ones I have really seen have been for The Nose recently. And one of them, I don't know if we can even count me of, has actually having seen it. Um, but the, uh, the...
4: I actually can't remember which circumstances she's alluding to, but I'm sure it's a good story, whatever it was. <laughs>
5: um, but I... So I spent most of the movie being totally... I went into it because I kept hearing all these great things, and you know I heard how there was this just like feminist opus, and it wasn't to me at all. in fact, it was really the opposite, and, and I, I wanted it to be so much better. but it was just it was just a superhero movie with just you know lots of bloodshed and gore, and re- I saw it in IMAX 3D, so it was really loud and, uh, and the the character of Wonder Woman. She could have been a very complex character, and I felt like they they could have done something more. And instead, I did just find her to be very naive in an annoying way, uh, and and I had problems with like all sorts of plot things in the movie. Like my the big thing that I just kept saying was why did they not have ice cream on this island that she was from (laughs) like an island of women like the six of us if we were left on an island would figure out how to have ice cream made in like a week tops (laughs) and these women had never had ice cream before like she said ice cream in the train station and is you know losing her mind over it uh, I don't, it was just all these little things like that that built up. Right. You know, My problem was me.
4: that the, all the women who lived on the island spoke in an accent, but not but the a different same accent. accent. Yeah.
6: Right. <laughs> but they yeah. speak over 100 <laughs> languages. So. They do, yeah.
4: So they, could just so they got this accent muddled
6: accent going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it was
5: all those problems that just led me to be like, <laughs> eh, is how I felt about and it. So
4: I feel like this is breaking down between sort of nerds and non-nerds, you know. And <laughs> but so I feel like there so, are different
5: kinds of nerds, because yeah. you know, like Star Wars. Like I, I will. Kate know, go and to Rebecca back. and I
4: are the really <laughs> authentic nerds here. What were you going to say, Kate?
0: Well, what I was going to say is that I had to learn a lot about the genre. And one of the things I I enjoyed uh, researching the movie was what it meant to people who do follow the movies and that there are all these references. Now, I know it's called Easter eggs Mm -hmm. that are referring to (laughs) Superman and Indiana Jones and different um, episodes, different uh, versions of the cartoon. And so I learned, I thought that that, uh, ice cream scene was ridiculous also. (laughs) But then I found out it was referring to that same scene almost verbatim from a couple of the comics. And so then I could see, appreciate the delight okay. that someone would have knowing what all these references were.
6: Kudos to you to Googling it rather than just being <laughs> filled with rage like I was. So. See, my my issue with the ice cream was not that they hadn't figured out how to make it on the island, but the fact that this is wartime and wouldn't you have rations on things like sugar to make the ice cream and just – the general sort of austerity that comes with war, yet here's this guy in a train station selling ice cream. <laughs> so.
4: Well, so, I mean, one of the things that is, um, that we've become accustomed to, those of us who see a lot of these kinds of movies, and, and I maybe it just is... New territory for you, Tracy, and some of the other uh, panelists here. I mean, there's there's a way in which a lot of these movies they start really interestingly, and then there's just kind of a requirement that the last forty minutes be these gigantic CG battles, you know, that really, <laughs> you know, and and which I find unfortunate. I, I, there's I, I actually somebody's going to have to um, tell me in the chat field, but the 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 Batman movie where Batman goes to the east and is tutored by Liam Neeson and all the, and all the martial arts and stuff is really terrific at the beginning. It's fast. It's called Batman Begins, and and then it just like at the end he's just got to go back to the city and just do this thing. So I guess I'm wondering, if somebody who doesn't watch a lot of these things, was that like really exciting for you? The what, big CG do- 40 minute like you know thrash it, out with
6: it was two in, different villains. Interesting to watch, and I was sort of thinking it more on like the technical side, like oh I wonder if that you know if they had to do this if there's a green screen here blah 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 you know I didn't get into it. Um, I think what what sort of ruined it for me is you know she gets up there and she goes i believe in love you know yeah. which is it's 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 fine it's, it's great well. it's dandy but at the same time this is a really well educated woman she's read you know volumes and volumes of books she speaks all these languages and the best she can muster for sort of you know justifying you know, her mission is I believe in love. It's just a little too simplistic for me. And so the whole darn thing just fell apart.
4: She also believes that children are our future. <laughs> um, all right. I think we have to stop because, like, we've got a whole other topic here and we've got six people who need to try. Does anybody have, like, any? And also I, I let go of uh, my resident nerd Rebecca too soon because I did want to talk a little bit about, like, what are the comic book heroes who really do work? But, Kate, yeah, what did
0: you want to say? Yeah, I just wanted to mention the first scene It was such a disappointment to me. I did go in thinking this was going to be this powerful women-centered movie. You've got this great first scene of this little girl running and people are calling her and they're trying to stop her and she's like, no, I'm going to run and I'm going to learn and I'm going to learn how to fight. I thought it was great. I see this brown woman calling her and I'm like, oh, okay. That's her mother. And I thought that would have been so cool. I was so happy at that moment. I'm like, okay. And then... I find out, oh, it's the nanny, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I realize this scene reflects the opening scene of Gone with the Wind, where yeah. Mammy mm-hmm. is calling Scarlet to come back, and I my spirits drooped. All right.
4: Uh, well, on that droopy moment, my theory is you guys are also incredibly empowered and powerful. You didn't need this movie. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, anyway, we'll uh, take a little break. We'll come back with a different topic. All right. We have the nose today, but a special nose with six women panelists. Uh, I can't do long biographies for all of them. Scholar Rebecca Castellani, writer, editor, Teresa Kramer, professor, Elizabeth Kiefer. Go, uh, Carolyn Payne, uh, actress, comedian, Carolyn Payne, uh, poet, Kate Russian, and uh, non-profit, uh, Tsarina, uh, Tracy Wufastenberg. <laughs> How was that? Um, so uh, we're back with the uh, original line of Rebecca and t- uh, Teresa and Elizabeth. This is so complicated. <laughs> um, and so what I sort of proposed this week is that um, there have been some little mini dust storms and maxi dust storms over the last two weeks involving people like Kathy Griffin, who was uh, who showed herself with a fake decapitated head of Donald Trump. Uh, Bill Maher, who used the N-word on the air, we'll play that clip in just a second. Apparently not for the first time, uh, but in this particular time, it seems to have uh, uh, it particularly uh, rung the wrong bell. Um, my friend David Edelstein was uh, called on the carpet uh, for his review Uh, Of Wonder Woman, which people, some people thought, uh, sexualized um, uh, Wonder Woman and Gal Gal Gadot uh, too much. Uh, And this is the one that none of the panelists would know about. But broadcaster Jerry Remy got in trouble because uh, he complained uh, on the air about the fact that uh, among the many visits to the mound that are now made by catchers and infielders and stuff like that, um, some um, uh, some pitchers, uh, especially uh, Tanaka from the Yankees, also have a translator who shows up so that the pitcher. So he said, "Well, we can play you that clip too." But you know, in each case, people get really—it's uh, something, Teresa, that we've talked about in the past on this show—that mm-hmm. there is this kind of world of outrage hobbyists uh, on, <laughs> uh, which is some of us sometimes too, you know, but the, like one of the fun things to do on the internet is really get mad at people and see who else is mad and see how big a blank storm this is going to be. Um, and, and But you sort of wonder, you know, because it's always about sort of, pretty. it's usually like about one offense, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't like Bill Maher at all, mm-hmm. like if Bill Maher was going to be fired for everything he's ever done in his career, <laughs> I'd be very comfortable with that. I'm less comfortable if he's going to be fired for this one particular thing is that you don't do you understand the what am I making any sense no I yeah absolutely <laughs> no was um, a fine answer
7: actually. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, yeah I think you know I, w- the more the sort of internet gets outraged over something the more I want to defend whoever it is no matter <laughs> what horrible thing they've done because mm. it's just sort of I mean, it's just a feeding frenzy. It's 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 almost never really fair. John Ronson wrote an entire book about Mm -hmm. this at this point, about just the public shaming of people for one thing that they did and how it ruins their lives. And um, it it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially because so many of these people would otherwise be sort of espousing the importance of kindness and forgiveness in the world. And they can't muster it um, when someone crosses them. Um, so, I, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I, and frankly, I mean, I'm not – Bill Maher's got his problems and whatever. But um, – like if you hire Bill Mar, that's what you're hiring him for. Like so, like to then fire him for it is seems strange. Well, but he, which he hasn't been fired, so right.
4: Yeah. Um, well, Elizabeth, maybe we're back with the fundamental Wonder Woman contradiction, which is you want peace, but first of all, before that, you have to kill all the bad guys. Um, and I mean, that's a little bit uh, in there with what uh, Teresa is saying. I don't. Did did any of the things that I just named strike you as? especially actionable offenses, offenses for which some kind of remedies need?
7: I think there's a difference between an actionable offense and something you might get some censure for but not be removed from your position. So everybody has the right to say, this is something that offended me. But in Kathy Griffin's case, I think much worse things have been done before her. And I felt holding up the a fake severed head of Donald Trump is perhaps not as bad as some things SNL has done and repeatedly, right. you know, it repeatedly done. So, I mean, they, they make fun of him and try to make fun, uh, fun of him every week. So I felt, OK, she did that one thing. But to lose, to start to um, lose parts of her career because it seemed it just blaster on the Internet. Everybody's got the right to do that. But I don't know about firing her for that. Right. Well, for, en- for any of these things, I and, can't see
4: it. And Rebecca, we know she did lose something. Anyway, she lost the opportunity to host New Year's Eve with Anderson Cooper, Big which is you – know, whether actually a newsman, uh, a sort of a news anchorish kind of person like Anderson Cooper should have been doing that kind of thing in the first place <laughs> is a separate question. But you know, I, I think another que- – one thing that kind of came up in the emails is there's, there's an understanding that when you're doing a comedy, you get to explore – certain things, certain transgressive questions. But it's not, not always clear when that thing is being done. For example, if you're Bill Maher talking to Men Sass, I'm going to play that clip in just a second. Are you doing comedy? You're talking to a US senator. You know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really do think you have to take this on a case-by-case basis. Um, In terms of Kathy Griffin, she's suffered fallout from this. I think she's learned her lesson in terms of what's appropriate and what's not. I think Bill Maher is someone who has never really learned a lesson, and he continues to do this stuff. And, you know, everyone says, oh, well, it's one thing, it's one thing. For me, this isn't one thing. He's got a public platform. I don't think it was a joke. I don't think it was funny. His audience booed him. Um, I thought it was out of line, inappropriate, and especially given – you know, tensions today. I I just don't think there's room for racist jokes like that, whether, you know, he intended it to come off as poorly as it did. You know, I get all the time, your generation doesn't know how to take a joke. And to that I say, my generation spends all of its time on the internet laughing at memes. We can take a joke. It's just that we can't take sexist or racist jokes anymore. You know, I I grew up thinking this is not the way we treat each other. And I, you know, so I do, I'm not a keyboard crusader by any means, but I do think that enough is enough. And, And Bill Maher is a, white man of a certain age has been given this platform and this privilege to speak in a humorous way. But when that humor crosses the line into what I see as racism, pure and simple, I have a problem with that.
4: I guess the, the question to me, though, is I mean, first of all, I agree with pretty much everything that you just said. And I thought it was also very nicely expressed. Um, But then the question Teresa becomes, there are places where we want people to be a little freer, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, Louis C.K. He begins his special, I was saying this in the emails to you, his his current Netflix comedy special, he begins it with like about a 15 or 20 minute ramble about abortion and suicide. And Mm -hmm. he says a lot of things that are in in that meticulously crafted Louis C.K., way completely wrong to say but somehow or other hilarious
3: yeah right which you know i i've said this on this show before that i will give a comedian plenty of latitude as long as it's funny Mm. like if the joke is worth it i really don't care what you say and like and louis louis ck is one of them i mean he says there were several snl appearances ago he he made an entire monologue out of joking about child molestation Mm -hmm. like what, the things he said were so much more horrible than anything Bill Maher has probably ever said. But he's sort of gotten some pass somehow. Mm. And one I would agree that he should have because he's a comedian. Comedians get to talk about things in ways that normal people just don't. And they are – they. and because of the way they are employed most – not Bill Maher, but a stand-up comedian is basically a self-employed person and they actually – have the ability to build their own audience, say what they're going to say and not worry about the ramifications of it in a certain way. And I think it's important that there are people out there who can do that.
1: I definitely think there should be space for comedians to make jokes that are not necessarily comfortable for everyone. I think in the case of someone like Bill Maher,
3: mm-hmm.
1: he's on a news sh- you know, his show is, is news with comedy right. on the side. And I think that's where the line is for me is that mm-hmm. someone like Kathy Griffin, who was a stand-up comic, pure and simple, and Louis C.K., who is he's not reporting the news, he's not reporting
0: mm-hmm.
1: facts, his own personal feelings on abortion, but he can make jokes about it because that's his platform. Although so- oh, so
4: Elizabeth, this is gonna, what, yeah, what were you going to say?
7: I was going to say a stand-up comedian is in a different position too, mm-hmm. where the, if if audiences don't like what they're putting out, they mm-hmm. they won't simply won't pay and and right. buy another ticket for it. So that's a little different than somebody who's on a regular news program. So co- uh, comedians kind of live and die by their jokes.
4: Yeah. All right, we're going to do a little line change here. We're going to play the Bill Maher clip while the line change happen- is happening, and then we'll have, among other people, an actual stand-up comedian uh, waiting to uh, comment on that. All right, so something we weird in human history if you can't tell 10 and 15 and 20 and 25-year-olds apart, because that's new, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that, yeah, right? Adolescence is a game. Halloween used to be a kid thing. It's not anymore? Not out here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, adults dress up for Halloween. They don't do that in Nebraska? It's frowned upon. Yeah, we don't do that quite as much, but... Wow. We've got to get to Nebraska more. I... <laughs> You're welcome. We'd love to have you work in the fields with us. Work in the fields? That's part of that... That's... Senator. I'm a... No, it's... <laughs> it's a joke. <jolly. laughs> Thank you. All right, so uh, HBO did that particular uh, believe he says i'm a house n word uh, it's he's talking to Ben Sass who's a Republican senator from nebraska so Carolyn Payne, you're a stand up comedian sometimes I've been a stand up comedian sometimes. One of the rules sometimes is just let that one sit there you know like i I think when when Ben Sass says, "Come work in the fields." A lot of us might have thought about a joke kind of like that, and so so much of the time, you've got to make a split second decision. Like, is this something that I should this should come out of my mouth?
5: Yeah, and it's kind of like know your audience. It, it's along the lines of what Teresa and Rebecca, and everyone is saying. If if you know if you're in a setting where that is going to fly and you're going to get the laugh, and it's not going to come across as, as as incredibly offensive, like go there, push it. And I'm, I think I'm a big fan of when comedians like use their comedy to make statements, make political statements, or like push the envelope and really go there. I think this was just not knowing your audience and not getting, just not quite being where. The context should have been to go there, and
4: thinking this. that you're likable enough and funny enough that this slightly a smug joke is right. going to work.
5: Yeah, and he's just not. So <laughs> it, it, he he way overestimated his own likability factor to allow that to to happen.
4: So Kate, one of the rules of the ACLU is you have to defend people that you don't like very much, and sometimes you have to defend statements that you don't like very much, right? I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't like Bill Maher at all, uh, and I'm you know I think Kathy Griffin's kind of an idiot, um, and so were I going to you know, have to die on the cross for two people's right to say what they want to say. Those aren't the two that I'd pick, you know, and I, I sort of wonder how, how do we process that question, right?
0: Well, you know, first of all, the the bit between Mar and Sassy, it wasn't going well to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think about this great bit that the great genius Richard Pryor had that I cannot find online because it's probably X'd out, where people are debating the use of this word and it's a white person saying to Richard Pryor, how come you can use that word, and Richard Pryor's response is something like, because you don't say it as sweet as I do. And, you know, when I saw the Kathy, Kathy Griffin, I said, you know, you're going to lose your your job embarrassing Anderson Cooper on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Why? My thing with the Kathy Griffin
5: is what has really shocked me about her. So, you know, a- a- as a comedian and I've like written things where you get like Internet backlash and part of what I think your responsibility is, is you stand by that. No, you, you chose to make that joke. You chose to put that out there. And it's not like she's trying to take it back, but it's just her, you know, uh, I, crying on TV saying how now her career is over has really made her a weak character to me. Uh, I wanted her to just kind of stand stand up for herself and right. be mm-hmm. like, you know what? This is what I thought was funny. And sh- many of you would have wanted to do this, too. Yeah. And, and and she's just standing there crying. And yeah, like what, what, Stephen
0: Colbert. I, what I find interesting is that. Um, I learned about the photographer, and evidently he takes shocking photographs. So I'm wondering, well, why is Kathy Griffin being punished more than the photographer, Mm -hmm. who I think conceptualized the whole deal?
4: So Tracy Wu Fastenberg, among the 70 or so Connecticut nonprofits that you've kept afloat through your uh, (laughs) development efforts is the Mark Twain House. Um, And so and Twain is symbolic of a particular kind of thing, which is we sort of want hell raisers and ramble rousers to shake up the culture all the time. We want certain people to be able to maybe write things that seem a little inflammatory or let various aspects of their own – inner demons hang out in a way that might get people going a certain way in some of the conversations about David Edelstein's review. That's sort of a point that I've made that you really want – I mean he's very much in the tradition of Pauline Kael. You want people to kind of disturb people. to to see what happens as a result. The problem is these days the, the digital culture is kind of different. Like you do that, and within an, you know twenty four hours there might be a movement of people demanding that you be fired from something. Sure, yeah,
6: I understand that there is a place to be prov- provocative, to be thought provocative, to be sort of you know edging the line and things like that. But but at the same time, I would hope that our society has evolved to a place where we can do that without being offensive. I, I found what Bill Maher did offensive. Mm. Um, I can't imagine a, a scenario where I would think it was okay for a white male entertainer to take this word and essentially appropriate it for entertainment purposes in any situation. I, I hate to say it, but even in, in a comedic one, I can't fathom a place where him saying that word out loud is acceptable to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: And that's one situation. Now the Kathy Griffin one, Stephen Colbert, you know, some of these other ones, while they may be offensive, while they may be out in poor taste, I think some of those actually provoke discussion on a deeper level than using a racial slur as sort of a ha ha moment that was nowhere near ha ha. Um, and so, and and in Twain's footsteps, Twain was provocative. He he talked about things that did not make people happy in ways that did not make people happy, and I think that those were necessary. Um, Some of these discussions and some of these offensive acts or, you know, to some people, offensive acts are part of what pushes the discussion. So we move forward as a society. I don't think using a word, the N-word, pushes us forward in any way, shape or form.
4: All right. Believe it or not, that's where we have to stop for that because we have a lot of endorsements. Well, I mean, we have a lot of people who are going to do a lot of endorsements. So we're going to take a break. This panel will stay here. I've got a whole plan for this, too. It's going to work. All right.
5: I'm in trouble again. Comes no surprise to me that I'm in trouble again.
2: I think Bill Maher's punishment should be that he's sentenced to spend the rest of his life as an obnoxious, overrated, self congratulatory pork face. Oh, wait. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPance and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish was recently cast as Mrs. Aquaman. The part of Bill Curry was played by Linda Carter. We'll be back on Monday with the author of a dark novel about a second American civil war, this one over fossil fuels. And now, back to Colin.
4: We'll also have Terrence Mann, actor and director, to break down the Tony Awards, which will have just happened. And yes, this... This novel, which I am being haunted by right now, American War by Omar El Akkad, is pretty incredible. Anyway, so we've got all of our uh, panelists here. So the, the the group we just had, they're going to do some endorsements. So Kate, uh, get us started. Endorse something for us.
0: All right. I'm going to do a poetry endorsement. I'm on the James Merrill House Museum Committee of the Stonington Village Improvement Association. And the, the James Merrill House, which was the home of one of the top artists, poets of the 20th centuries in Stonington. And the house was just placed on the uh, National Register of Historic Places. They have a writer in residency program. They have readings and talks throughout the year. And coming up next Saturday, the 2017 Yale Younger Poets winner, D. Matthews, is going to read. So people should check out the James Merrill House at jamesmerrillhouse.org. Org. They have open houses, and I hear Stonington has a great uh, farmers market.
4: It does have a great farmers market. Bring your own Ouija board uh, to the James Marshall House. They do not supply them. Uh, what have you got for us, uh, Carolyn?
5: Okay. Um, so, I, yeah, he doesn't even know who I am. No, it's like the computer is <laughs> blocking my view of you. That's why I hate this seat. Um, so. Two things, really quick. One is uh, Chelsea Handler. I'm just endorsing Chelsea Handler as a wonderful comedian. Who, she doesn't
4: cry when she gets yelled <laughs> <laughs> She does
5: not. She's not a crier. And she has really, uh, if you're looking for a comedian to help guide you through this political landscape, she actually has done some wonderful things and is really fun to watch and always interesting and provocative in a good way. And she's mainly
4: on Netflix right now. Yes,
5: right? yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I wanted to endorse Hartford Baking Company on Monday, June 26th, is doing a fundraiser for Out Connecticut, which is a wonderful organization that supports LGBTQ youth throughout the state and um, their proceeds. They're making unicorn baked goods. And I'm going to be the MC there. There's going to be raffles and a DJ. And so uh, everyone should come, come to that and support this great organization and get fancy cookies.
4: Tracy Wu Fastenberg.
6: I am going to promote your local breweries. Um, for a long time, you know, there were not that many locally you had to drive up into Massachusetts, you had to go all these other places, and there's so many cropping up, and some of them are really cool. You know, you've got the one on New Park Ave, or my new favorite, Hanging Hills, which is sort of in this, like... Back, weird area, not on a main place, but the owners are great. They're really welcoming. And there are darts. And I have discovered that I am actually really good at darts. Um, but the beer at these places is actually pretty decent, too, unlike some Connecticut wines where you try to hit the wineries and you're like, uh eh, it's not quite what I was looking for, the beer is actually really good.
4: All right. So this uh, group is going to do a line change while they're doing it, and then when Teresa gets here, she can help me out with this. I'll say that, you know, this is the nose. We have uh, great panelists, and we all love one another uh, very, very deeply. But if there's one person that we like, everybody loves the most, I think it might be Jim Chapdelaine. <laughs> uh, Jim, Jim Chapdelaine is just like the nicest person in the world. And so he and this group Indivisible, with which I think Teresa is also involved, uh, are having a concert uh, starting at 2.30 at the beautiful Infinity Hall in downtown Hartford. Uh, it is called Songs of Despair and Hope. Uh, (laughs) Despair comes first, I notice, (laughs) in the title. And there's an incredible lineup. uh, Richard Sindel, who's just like a legend, particularly in the Northeast in the world of folk singing, and, of course, Jim and his Shinolas. My friend Hugh Blumenfeld. I'm going to be there. I I, I don't really need to be on stage. I kind of like to come up and maybe introduce Hugh because – because i just like to introduce him. Uh, and I don't know, what else do we need to tell him about it? Who said Dart Band, I'm doing all this from memory.
3: It's a fundraiser for Indivisible, but we're also going to be giving money to Planned Parenthood, Mothers United Against Violence, I think maybe the ACLU if they're allowed to accept our money, which I'm not sure they are, it's weird. But um, there's there's a bunch of other people, the girls from Ruby Falls, the uh, our own local Hartford Hot Several, and... Um, Oh geez, I know I'm forgetting so many because we've was, got like 15 people. Like at I this sort point, of don't
4: yeah. understand how it could all be done in two hours, but <laughs> somehow or other it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, so be there 2:30 uh, at uh, Infinity Hall. I don't know how much it costs to get in. Do you know how much it costs? It's to get
3: in? 20 bucks, 40 if you want like to sit.
4: All right. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> um, all right. Uh, and then, now you can endorse, uh, like, one other thing that you really like.
3: Um, I went to a tasting to for first. a local company, um, a new company. It's called Dev and Tiff's Bistro. It's not actually a physical place. They are, they're caterers, and um, they do meal preparation, meaning they'll bring food to your house for you for the entire week. And the food is great. It's two young women. You can find them at dev, D-E-V, Tiff.com.
4: All right. We only have about two minutes left. So, Rebecca.
1: Um, Really quickly, as I mentioned earlier, I just finished season five of House of Cards, and I thought, wow, it's really nice to watch somebody who wants to watch the world burn in office, but at least he's intelligent. So then (laughs) I promptly watched uh, Get Me Roger Stone, which made me think that Trump... Well, or at least the people pulling Trump strings are a lot more intelligent than I thought, and it freaked me out. But if you're looking to understand a little more about the current administration and how it came to be and are confused, as I am still, as to the election
7: results, I highly recommend Get Me Roger Stone.
4: And that is also on On Netflix. Netflix.
1: Documentary on Netflix.
7: Well, because Elizabeth. we're in a less-than-secure position, I'm going to endorse the Connecticut Community College system. Check out the <laughs> courses online and in catalogs this summer and for the fall.
4: All right, it, and the community college system is—it is like the best socio-economic step in American society We're awesome. right now. If Check you want it to. Out. I'll just quickly—I um, wasn't even going to endorse—but uh, the movie Norman. It's actually called Norman: The Moderate Rise and Fall of a New York Fixer. I think I might have that right. It stars Richard Gere in the most non-Richard Gere movie you've ever seen. Uh, And he's really, really great. It's a very, very touching movie. And it's also a movie about New York and about Israel and New York-Israel politics. It has some tremendous performances by some Israeli actors and by Michael Sheen, who I hope does not come through on his promise to quit acting because he's so great. So anyway, Norman, uh, it's I think it's still in the theaters right now. I think you might be able to find it in a the theater. If not, look for it on the second runs. Thanks to all these wonderful wonder women. Uh, I don't have time to name them all. You know who they are. The wonder women. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening. Thanks to my wonder women, uh, Kayone Wolf, Bitsy Kaplan, and Jonathan McPants, who's not a woman, but he has other fine qualities. <laughs>
2: All right. To be fair, the only unbelievable part of Wonder Woman is the idea that she would ever actually leave an island of only women.